Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 124 for Monday, January 18th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Pixel RTX, I mean, er, Riffs. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello, and Pixel on holiday this week for most of it, but I'll always turn up for a podcast, always great. And uh, if you want to hear what we've been up to, what, what food we've been cooking, and how many sea shanties we've been listening to, because apparently the rest of the world is doing that as well, you can get that at The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. You can get in on that extended conversation at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks signing up at any level there gets you access to the extended version of the show hi joel uh <laughs> i don't have much to say about my minecraft week i not much to report from from this side of things i i am on holiday as of last thursday and to be honest it's been great just being able to recharge a little bit. I've been playing a few other games. I've been continuing my Stardew Valley playthrough. I've been playing a bit more of Celeste and posting clips of that on Twitter, but that's as close as I've come to uh, to, to producing any more Minecraft content, uh, at least, uh, video gaming content in general. But I've got, I got plans in the works, uh, shall we say. And uh, before we move on to what you've been doing this week, I want to mention that I'm going to be back streaming on Friday, January 22nd with another Clash of the Creators event, which was something I did with Azuma and a few other guys right before uh, before Christmas, basically. And last time it was teams of four, uh, and it was two teams going up against each other, hunting for achievements and trying to get achievements as fast as possible. This time it seems to be more of a mob hunt format, so the goal is to kill as many mobs as possible before the other teams do. Uh, there's going to be four teams participating this time, uh, and it's going to be me, Azuma, Sliced Lime, and Avomance from the Legacy server um, doing a whole bunch of, uh, of mob fighting. So uh, look forward to that. I think that's happening the evening of Friday, January 22nd, uh, evening GMT. Uh, I think the last one started around 8 p.m. ish, maybe a little before. So, uh, so keep an eye out for that. That sounds like a lot of fun. That mm. sounds like it. Just these, it's like these mini games or mini achievement runs, and it, it to me, I don't see the appeal in a speed run, but I see the appeal of getting together with a group of friends and having that kind of a competition. Like just like it challenges like your knowledge of Minecraft and and also adds a little bit of action, but not PvP. You know, like it's just it's it's. It's like a race, but but not uh, in the in the same way of like let's just play this game over again, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely a format that I'm a lot more comfortable with because for a start, I'm a big fan of a lot of the people who are <laughs> involved with this, but also um, it's it's just something I can do as a one off. It's not something that everybody expects from me every time I turn up. Like if I I think if I was a more regular speedrunner, then everybody would turn up to my regular streams expecting speedruns. And you see that with a lot of folks on Twitch now where it's kind of all they do. Um, and so I think, yeah, having having these one-off events gives me a good excuse to step out of my, my usual Minecraft groove and try and do some other stuff that's a little bit more fast-paced. But then because it's a one-off and it takes a lot to organize this stuff, it's easy to just slide back into the usual routine next time. So for me, I've really not built much. I've been playing Minecraft. I played Minecraft all weekend. I did three streams. Uh, but I just, I walked away from the weekend feeling satisfied, but also kind of like I didn't really do much. And basically, I ended up working on the medieval town again. Uh, but I just ended up doing a lot of planning, like a lot of tearing down village houses, making a note of where they were, because I'm trying to... I'm trying to place my buildings kind of inspired by where the 
uh, original Minecraft village was. So like their town square and my town square are basically on top of each other. I shifted it a little bit just to kind of suit my needs and made mm-hmm. it bigger, obviously. But uh, I I didn't really like I, I hadn't gone through and kind of like flattened the area. I'm trying to keep the landscape as best as, as close to the natural Minecraft gen as I can and kind of like deal with it or let it inspire what I'm going to do next. You know, like, oh, this could be a cool spot for the wall to go up a hill rather than flattening the hill, you know, that kind of idea. Uh, so I spent a good t- a chunk of time, like things like smoothing out the janky river, you know, um, generation. Uh, I, I added a, another tower, which I think was the only real build I did was I added a second tower to the, like the South river to kind of make it look like the river is being guarded. Um, but I'm now into this part where like, I just keep on having this chicken and egg problem where I was working on the wall. I thought this is a simple thing. I don't really have any plans this stream. I'll work on the wall. And then I realized, hmm, the wall kind of comes close to the church or where I want the church to be. I have a floor plan for the church kind of, but no real idea. So like I have to really, I think, build the church or at least find a plan for it before I can decide where the final wall is going to go. And it's the same with everything else. Like I'm building these roads, but I want your path along the road to frame different things in the city. And some of the main roads, I would very much like them to frame the main keep, you know, the biggest, most important building in the town, uh, which I hadn't started until this weekend. <laughs> so yeah. uh-huh. I kind of had to pull the trigger on that. And it's in this, this weird situation of like having this Pinterest page has been great because I can, I, one, I can bring it up on stream. Like I can just add like a little overlay on, on Streamlabs and, and show people where my inspiration is coming from, which is great. But then also just, I'm not just using one build. I'm trying to do this thing where as an artist, I would design a character or I would do something and I'd look up reference and stuff like that. And then I would put the reference away and kind of let whatever visual shapes my brain had soaked in inform my own drawing rather than like end up copying somebody else's ideas by accident. And uh, I'm doing the same thing here. So I'm not necessarily building based on one image, but it's like, I like the fact that this image has got like really sturdy bottoms to the buildings, but I'm going to take the tops of the buildings from something else. And then I've got to incorporate the style that I've already kind of um, established in the, in the city or in the town. And it's, it was fun, but it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, how on earth did this like three and a half hours? Like I've built a frame, you know, like, but it's all that trial and error in, in survival. And somebody had asked, you know, like, you know, how come you're doing this in, in survival and not creative? And I realized that like, cause I'm not really playing the survival game so much because like if creepers come up, sure. But like I, it's end game. I can deal with them. No problem. Um, I just, I, I realized that I just don't like the creative controls. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like I, I get very frustrated with creative sliding around like I'm on ice all the time. And I mean, obviously there's a lot, number of other reasons for the survival, but from the, just the pure building um, function, I think I actually prefer survival. I think it's just because I've become good enough at it that I can do it fairly fluently and stuff like a tower can go up in about 20 minutes, you know? Uh, and I, once you've got a design, like when you're not making decisions, like if I'm doing trial and error, oh my gosh, welcome to my 90 minute life. Like, yeah. you know, to, to try to design one tower. Um, but if I've got a design that I like that I'm just repeating, it actually comes together quite quickly. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I would be as fast in in creative probably i guess in a time way but i wouldn't feel good about it i just i feel frustrated i'm always just like just trying to aim my mouse in a proper position 
Um, I've never actually taken note, but I would imagine I misplace blocks a lot in creative. Mm -hmm. You just don't notice it because you're not going through your inventory as much, and it doesn't take as long to remove it as it does in survival. Yeah, yeah. Every, every, every problem that you've introduced is eminently fixable in creative. And it's funny because there's a, a double-edged sword here. If you don't like the inertia of flying around in creative in Java edition, you might enjoy Bedrock edition more. Because Bedrock okay. Edition, obviously being primarily having been developed on mobile platforms, doesn't have that because I think because of the relative inaccuracy of mobile controls or how, how difficult it would be to manipulate for people who are less well-versed in touchscreen controls for, for a game like this. And so in Windows 10 Edition, the functionality is exactly the same as it would be in mobile. You, you glide as long as you want to move, but then as soon as you stop, it is a dead stop. Uh, which means that building in creative can feel a little bit more accurate. But if you're used to the way Java creative feels, which I am to a certain extent, it feels really unnatural to me, uh, to the point where I don't like building in Bedrock creative just because, again, like I'm used to the, the Java version. The other side of that is also that the menu, that like the inventory on creative mode is laid out differently for the two different versions. And I don't like the categories for Bedrock Edition's creative menu. It's the kind of thing that makes sense if it's the first version of the game you've come into contact with, but makes absolutely no sense to me as somebody who's used to the categories from Java. For example, and this is the best example I can find, when you want wood blocks of any kind on Java Edition, the logs and the full blocks, and even the stairs and slabs are all under basically a building blocks tab. So all of the, you know, oak wood, this, spruce wood, that is next to each other, and the only places it starts to break down are in sub-block things like fences, buttons, that kind of stuff. Those go more in decoration blocks, or in the case of buttons and doors and things, I think they're all in redstone components. On Bedrock Edition, the logs are in a nature category, and the crafted wooden planks and slabs and everything are in a building blocks category, which is a separate thing. So half the time when I'm designing a house, which often I end up using logs as a frame and then planks for a wall or something like that, they're mm -hmm. in two completely separate tabs, <laughs> and it makes no sense to me. And it's just because like the the natural building blocks are presumed to be a category all of their own so you have logs lumped in with grass and netherrack and nylium and all of the the stuff that you find in the natural world and everything that's player made is in a separate category but i i just can't navigate that way my brain is hardwired into java creative now to the point where it deeply confuses me whenever i do anything creative in bedrock which i'm doing more and more now that i'm testing builds for the rtx series and making sure that I can figure out how this medieval house is going to be built before I build it kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I may yet come around on that and might get used to the the format of it. But like you, I find building in survival just floats my boat a lot more. Does the creative mode in Bedrock have a tab where you can just type in the block? Oh, yeah, it's it's got a search, yeah. And, and yeah. I think a lot of people have recommended to me to use the search. It's just that... A lot of the time when I play Minecraft in general, I like to keep one hand on the keyboard, the other hand on the mouse. And it, mm. to, to the extent where, you know, I will I will pick block stuff instead of going into my inventory. Like it's a more optimized way of playing the game for me. And so I don't like to take one hand off to type the name of a block out on the keyboard. It feels like it's interrupting the natural flow of playing the game for me. 
so I don't tend to use the search functionality. Even in uh, in survival, if I forget the recipe of something, I will trial and error it instead of searching for it in the recipe book sometimes. Really? It's such an interesting thing because I don't do that at all. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, the first thing I do is just like, oh, stupid tabs where's the search (laughs) like i just i go straight for and the cool thing about it is that you can get to what you want by typing like often the first two letters yeah yeah whatever it is that you're looking for uh so i what i'll do is i'll get part of the way through the word or the first part of the word and then i'll just use the mouse to click what i want um but i kind of meet you halfway when i'm doing something in creative which actually hasn't happened in a very long time i tend to just iterate in survival now because it's part of my twitch content uh but i will make a small palette like I'll create a little palette in game where I can just like go down the ladder, pick block the three things that I want and yeah, go back yeah. up, you know, not the ladder, but like, you know, fly down, grab the things, fly back up. If you're doing like a house that has multiple levels and things, uh, I tend to do it that way. Um, but I definitely am quick to the keyboard in, in creative mode. The only time I don't think I do that when I actually utilize a tab, if, if I'm working through a redstone thing, I'll go to the redstone tab where you have like comparators and repeaters and like all that kind of stuff, just kind of at the ready. Um, I'll, I'll do that. But even then, once you've got a build going, it's just, just as easy to turn to the repeater that you just placed and just pickpocket, it. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of the time, if I'm just testing out a pallet for the first time, I, I need to grab a bunch of blocks out of the inventory. Like when I decided I was going to put clay into the roof of this medieval house, cause I think it goes really well with, uh, the stripped warped wood, the really kind of cyan blue, I feel like clay actually blends quite nicely with that. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's not like, you know, a a, a direct uh, thing in the same way that, you know, putting pairing it with prismarine would be. But I feel like clay just kind of breaks it up in a, in a neat way, in the same way that, you know, adding a couple of different colors of wood into a roof can really help to give it some character. And it works really well in, in the, the RTX lighting stuff as well. But yeah, I wouldn't have called it in in terms of like finding clay as a block that was a a trial and error process so i was pulling blocks in and out of the inventory all of the time and and without having that palette together and not having anything to pick block in the first place yeah i find it uh it's a bit of a challenge but yeah i'm slowly getting used to it so give me give me a month or two more with it and maybe i'll i'll have been able to uh to split that up but when it comes down to separating crafted blocks and natural blocks it's also confusing to me when the block can be both like thinking of clay as an example you can turn clay into terracotta by smelting a raw clay block but terracotta is a natural block from a mesa so you find that there but then you don't find Mm. all of the other natural colors of terracotta that you find in a mesa there because they're grouped with the rest of the colored terracotta most of which is player crafted for like the greens and the blues and the the non-natural colors but then you'll also find white and yellow and red and orange terracotta even in a mesa (laughs) so it's it's splitting things up in ways that don't seem at all logical to me if I was to organize Minecraft blocks, I would more than likely go by material type and then alph- alphabetical. Yeah. You know, like you go to the, you go to look for T for terracotta and then start to look for like, you know, red, orange, you know, mm-hmm. like, like just look for the color by, by alphabet. Um, Cause that's one of the things that I usually have trouble with when I'm doing texture pack updates is that everything, of course, in the texture uh, folder is just alphabetical by file name, yeah. which is better now, but way back before they did the, not the item squish, but whatever, when they renamed everything yeah. uh, and made it a little bit more the flattening, logical. Whatever it was. Flattening, called. sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I 
I had a hard time finding stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was, it was troublesome because it's like, this doesn't make any sense. You'd have to kind of remember when they talk about like wood logs or whatever, they would, they would have it like logs, spruce planks or something like it would have it backwards because mm-hmm. your brain goes, I want to differentiate quickly between spruce and acacia and whatever. Um, and that's always what, what I found tricky is that like, you know, acacia is way up at the top with a, but then spruce is way down the bottom with S, but you're like, I'm looking for wood. <laughs> like I kind of want all the wood to be together. Yeah. yeah. You uh, need like the, the taxonomy. It needs to sort of break down by, you know, order and phylum and genus and all of that yeah. kind of stuff until you yeah, get to, yeah. okay, this is, this is spruce wood lo- logs, you know, spruce wood bark texture, whatever it happens yeah. to be. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the news, do you have anything else coming up this week? Oh yes, uh, one more thing to mention. Um, the weekend uh, that's coming up actually next next weekend, the twenty third and twenty fourth of January, uh, I'm going to be hosting the Minecraft Dungeons speedrunning tournament that I mentioned. Uh, it's actually happening over two weekends. Uh, that one is probably going to be like the heats, as it were, and then the the semi final and or final is going to be happening on the sixth of February, which is not the weekend after, but the weekend after that. Uh, so two Saturdays away. Um, and yeah, it's going to be really fun. I've been chatting to some folks from the Minecraft Dungeons speedrunning community. I think it's also going to be hosted by one of Mojang's Twitter account, uh, t- uh, Twitch accounts as well. So we might be uh, be more visible to some folks who are out there looking. Um, but it's going to be really fun. If you've never checked out uh, a speedrunning tournament before, it's effectively going to be the two contestants basically speedrunning the game side by side and then... We might do a best of three format to determine who the best, you know, average player is. And then those people are going to progress in a tournament bracket until it comes down to effectively the two top speedrunners from the event trying to complete the game as quickly as possible. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, it seems to be developing at quite the pace right now. There are new strategies being discussed and various other bits and pieces sort of in the works. And speedrunning is one of those things where even if the game is you know decades old people are still finding new ways to complete it faster new glitches new skips that kind of stuff so yeah if you're interested in speed running but you want to look at it from a perspective that isn't just vanilla minecraft uh come on down uh it'll probably be happening around 6 30 gmt uh on the 23rd and 24th of january that sounds like a lot of fun actually especially because minecraft dungeons is something i can sort of see a speed run being way more entertaining than yeah. vanilla Minecraft. And I could be wrong. I just, you know, like I said, I think my my speedrun interest in vanilla Minecraft is next to nil. So I'm kind of biased there. Whereas Minecraft Dungeons, I don't have quite as much invested in that game. Uh, so a speedrun would just be like another cool way to to experience it. it it certainly has a different format to minecraft in that i know i would just get distracted by cool stuff when i was speed running minecraft so i'd get <laughs> i'd get too into like oh i could build something there i'd want to start building a house instead of just you know taking the critical path through the game to get to the end uh but yeah. dungeons is obviously an action game so it's a lot more geared towards those completion objectives for each of the areas and yeah they've got some really surprising tricks up their sleeves so definitely worth watching if you want a, a couple of a couple of neat ways to to break minecraft dungeons a little bit moving on into the news uh, just a couple of points this week minecraft java edition 1.16.5 release candidate one was posted on reddit by slice slime via twitter uh, quote, we are now releasing 1.16.5 Release Candidate 1, which addresses two critical stability issues. If no further critical issues are found, we plan to release 1.16.5 on Friday. We hope to release another Caves and Cliffs snapshot next week. Uh, by next week, they mean hopefully this week. 
Uh, Bedrock Edition Realms Simulation Distance has changed uh, and then changed back. Uh, we've got a post from CornerHardMC on Twitter and Megaspud on Twitter as well. Sim Distance on Realms was previously set to 4 as was increased to 10 to allow to a, uh, for a larger radius in which farms would remain active. Bedrock Edition players on Active Realm servers reported issues with lag and farm designs which relied on the foreign chunk radius were affected. Yeah, I, I thought it was worth bringing up the changes to Bedrock Edition simulation distance uh, because um, Bedrock Edition has had a technical scene for a while. It's obviously known for being uh, harder to work with than Java because a lot of the hard and fast rules we rely on in Java and uh, mob spawning algorithms and stuff are different. And so applying the Java way of thinking to Bedrock Edition is tough and often results in farms not working or not working as they as you might have expected. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the development in Bedrock technical stuff is something I like to keep an eye on. And it has recently gotten better um, because of recent changes to spawning rules. Um, and the, the four chunk simulation distance here is significant because that... I think also calculates the radius in which mobs will despawn around you and it is different depending on where you would set the simulation distance in a single player world. The problem now is that Mojang is the one who sets all the config settings for realms or at least most of them. I think you can still have access to basic game rules like fire spread and that kind of stuff but where Realms on Bedrock Edition suffers is from the lack of player access to config settings like simulation distance. Um, and Realms is basically the best, if not only, server solution for most Bedrock Edition players because setting up a Bedrock server, the server architecture is still nowhere near where it is on Java and you don't have as much, um, you know, the, 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 the technical stuff that's required for it is a little bit more, more demanding from people. I know a couple of folks who do run their own Bedrock Edition servers, but the majority of people are going to use Realms, especially if you're connecting from multiple devices. It's just easier. And so, yeah, you end up with Mojang or Microsoft or whoever, you know, the, the, the team affiliates themselves with uh, making changes like this and then not necessarily taking to a, into account how much other stuff it's going to affect for more dedicated Bedrock players who have to rely on Realms as a service. And... Yeah, it, it comes down to really built-up worlds experiencing a lot of lag just because suddenly the farms that they've prepared for a four-chunk simulation distance are loading, you know, a lot further away than they were. And, you know, the, the, the stuff that they've relied on for a while is being changed without them having access to change it back. And I think that's the sticking point for a lot of players is the fact that it isn't configurable for them. So they can't decide one way or the other and in much the same way that you have to just roll with whatever updates bedrock gives you because uh they don't allow for historical versions to be launched through bedrock edition if changes like this happen the community has to speak up about them otherwise it just changes for the worse potentially uh for a lot of people so yeah i, I thought that was an, an interesting uh item to bring to the news and I, I don't really have any input on it myself i just thought it was was noteworthy at least I do find it interesting how limited in terms of the back end that Bedrock Edition can be because of its need to be on multiple platforms and work, you know, yeah. uh, compared to the flexibility of Java. Like we had the Citadel on a realm for three months or whatever. I think I had like a free trial or something. I can't remember how long it was. Um, I want to say it was like around my birthday. And then I 
about three months later in the summertime is when we launched the Citadel and what we consider like the the birthday of the Citadel server is like summer 2017. And uh, I very quickly realized the flexibility of having a Java server that was not on a realm because then you can do things like fabric and like is, I didn't get into it right away, but like I, I moved thinking future-proofing, I'm going to be able to tweak this if I need to. Uh, if um, in many cases over the last few years uh, when a version of Java did not work either on my system or was causing problems in the game in general, we could roll back and just go to like, you know, 1.13.4 or 1.14.2, like, you know, whatever that version happened to be, that was the one that worked the last time we checked. You know, and having that flexibility when you've got a group of people that are looking to play on the 45 minutes that they have on the weekend, you know, for some of our members are pretty busy. And uh, it, it's, I, f I forget, I guess, because I'm just a, solely a Java player that, that you often lack that flexibility uh, in, in Bedrock. Yeah, and it's something that I'd like to get um, somebody who's more involved with the technical side of hosting uh, Bedrock servers. Um, because I know a few folks in the community, uh, folks like the um, Truly Bedrock SMP, I think have their own solution for server hosting um, because their, their group is potentially larger than the 10-person maximum that you're allowed on Realms. Um, and there's, yeah, th there's a lot of ins and outs of that stuff. And, and like I said, the community is now developing to the extent where some more technical players is, is coming in and they are, they are bumping up against the limitations of it all of the time. With regards to the uh, 1.16.5, uh, which is now released, by the way, um, full on on the on the launcher, I I've been wanting to update because we're still running 1.16.1 on yeah. the Citadel for no other reason other than just like the the following iterations really didn't change a whole lot for us. Yeah, and you can't, uh, you and can't be bothered messing with piglin brutes. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, and, well, though, but we want horizontal chains, and I'm at a point now where in some of my builds we're like, I kind I kind of want them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I need to um, I need to update, and also just it's been long enough now that I felt like you know things like fabric and other mods had had caught up. Well, with the yeah. few that the few mods that we use that are not performance based, like the map mod the ambient sound mod, just little fun things that I know that other people that stream on the server also use. So I wanted to make sure that those were like grounded and ready to go. Um, but now that 116.5 was out, I'm just like, oh gosh, like, do I have to wait again? Uh, do I have to, uh, like, am I going to, because it's not an easy thing. It's not just clicking a button. Um, actually, it's not difficult. It's just a little bit of a, of a time sink to update a fabric server versus updating just a regular Minecraft server, uh, a vanilla server. So, uh, it looks like, though, after a quick read of the the Minecraft uh, or the Minecraft.net post, uh, is that um, it is administration compatible. What did they say? It was network compatible. Network compatible. Yeah. yeah. So if if this if the server is one sixteen five and you have one sixteen four, you may not have to update your game right away to just to attach to the server um, obviously we they encourage everybody to upgrade to the latest but if for example something that you rely on as a content creator or something is still on 116.4 not 116.5 for whatever reason um, then you should still be able to um, connect so that's that's good to know specifically if it's a if it's a client side thing like so uh, optify for example yeah from, from what i understand 116.5 was really just there to fix a couple of issues that could potentially have led to server crashes and i think yep. for for good reason we don't immediately know what they are they were probably filed as private bug reports because public knowledge of these things would lead to them being exploited which is a right. fairly common practice when it comes to reporting this kind of stuff and and yep. rightly so i think um but mm -hmm. yeah i i think it's it's good that 
they're still looking at 116 and fixing these things even while you know we're obviously focused on things like the caves and cliffs update being upcoming there's still a couple of critical issues that if they're reported are uh you know worth worth fixing to uh to the the point of releasing a a 0.5 version and and that makes sense why you can still log in with 1164 it's because they're really server side fixes um so logging in with the 1164 client there's going to be no difference for you either way moving on into chunk mail it is the third monday of the month which means it's the chunk mail dispenser so we're gonna skip our weekly discussion and just focus on solely emails this week uh, do you want to kick things off johnny Absolutely, yes. Uh, If you'd like to email the show and potentially contribute to the Chunk Mail segment or future Chunk Mail dispensers, of course, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Once again, that's spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. This first one comes in from Torda66, and the subject is something that we've, we've actually just touched on, a lack of horizontal blocks. Hi, Johnny and Joel. I'm primarily a builder and really like building in the fantasy and medieval style that Minecraft really supports. Recently, while doing some testing, I noticed a very large gap in the builder's palette, which is horizontal blocks. When I say horizontal blocks, I mean tube or beam-like blocks that can be placed horizontally and don't occupy a full block. Currently in the game, there are only a couple of blocks like this, and most of them are fairly niche in their uses. I can only think of end rods, chains, and the new coming lightning rod, And that's pretty much it. I don't know if Mojang should add a whole new block or simply allow walls to be placed on their sides, but I think if this or a similar feature was implemented, that it would really help out builders and potentially have uh, have use in another aspect of the game. I think a simple wooden or stone beam that is 10 by 10 pixels would be perfect. Uh, What are your thoughts on this idea and how do you think it could work? Torda66. Right, Uh, (laughs) let's unpack the horizontal blocks discussion because... I'm certain this is something that's been added with mods in the past, and a lot of people have wanted this kind of functionality for a while. Joel, how do you feel about it? Oh, 100% on board. Yeah. Like, to, I'm right there with you, especially because the simple change of being able to just put existing blocks, like, say, a stone fence, uh, horizontal in the same way that you would place a log. You know, like you can place a log where the stump looks like it's facing up where you might have cut down a tree or you can place it horizontally and make it look like a beam going across a room and the if you could do that with just the existing blocks i'm not getting greedy yet (laughs) i'm just saying the ones we already have uh it would just open up all kinds of different things in terms of like changing the um, diameter of something uh, making something look like it's not a kind of like a chunky minecraft build i always joke around on my streams saying like you know you have to kind of take a build and then you kind of stick your it's like stick a little inflatable tube stick a straw in the back of the thing that you want to build and you want to build it in minecraft and you kind of have to like you know blow it up so it's kind of like fat and chunky uh for it to work well uh and and having this kind of ability would be great i don't know what the technical problems would be i would imagine that there has to be some sort of new block type um applied on the back end because currently fences will keep you from jumping over them whereas like glass panes um Iron bars, uh, stuff like that. Iron bars, yeah. Uh, yeah, chains. They don't, they don't do that. They don't keep you from doing that. Uh, and so, if you place them horizontally, that function of a wall would have to be probably removed. Otherwise, it would be very confusing, I think, for players why they can't duck under something or go or go over something that's only at like mid block height. Yeah, um, yeah. So, because I think walls are only like, I think the the mid part are lower, but the the posts are a full block height, if I remember. So. That kind of stuff, I think, would be a little bit technically outside of my kind of like 
expertise. But yeah. uh, then you get into the whole like, I would really like there to be a wood fence, like a log fence, something that is the same size or roughly the same size or for fun, a little bit different diameter uh, than than the current stone fence, uh, but made of the different various wood types. Because if you could do that and place those horizontally, like one, you're going to get into like being able to do things like tree branches that you couldn't do before. Uh, you could do a beams and have it look like beams, not have it look like you've got a tree inside of your house going horizontally. Um, there's just all kinds of different things that would be, um, great for that kind of stuff. S bridges, scaffolding, like all those kind of structural, um, decorative things. Um, I think the tricky part about walls is that they currently attach to things next to them. So yeah. you wouldn't be able to use it in the same way that, a, that, a uh, a, a end rod would go next to a block. It doesn't attach to the block next to it. It only attaches on the ends, not on the on the sides. Yeah. And currently walls do that on the when they're with the way that they're placed. So you'd have to have that functionality removed, I think. Cause that, if you don't do that, then you get into like, you know, slab range and it just, it feel it would get weird, I think. Yeah. I, I it's 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 odd because I can sort of imagine why they haven't done stuff like this i mean specifically with walls if you take the idea of being able to place walls horizontally you've got to consider what face of the block you're placing them attached to and right now it is quite convenient if you just want to make a solid wall to look up at the topmost block and then just place a bunch of walls down the side of whatever pillar it is you're attaching them to but then if you have to consider that if you look at the block sideways you're going to place them sideways suddenly you'll have to you're having to make sure you're looking at a specific face of a block in order to place them in a certain orientation. And that's where building starts to become a little bit finicky. And then, like you said, if they're connecting to each other, are they still doing that if they're placing in a horizontal orientation? You know, there's, there is there is then an argument to be made for splitting them off into a different category of block entirely and just having, in the same way that we have walls now, just having beams as like a right. separate category of block yeah which stone which, beam wood beam all that kind of stuff exactly yeah. yeah it's the kind of thing that i would i would be more on board with them doing that than having a a more finicky way of placing walls <laughs> especially mm -hmm. with the recent changes they've made to walls where they flatten out into effectively like a uh a, a middle placed vertical slab like a centered vertical slab against two blocks um so yeah that I, I i sort of wonder if stuff like that is what's prevented them from adding blocks like this in the past, aside from the voxel aesthetic of the game, uh, we have a lot of horizontal freedom in Minecraft, and yet so many blocks are vertical, and a lot of the time don't even have rotational uh, capabilities, like they can't be placed in different orientations, like the... Um, the example you used before is villager workstations, right? You've, you've said, yeah. like, it'd be really nice to rotate a cartography table just so the wood texture is on a different side. Um and some of the some of the tables have uh, and different workstations have got fantastic bottom textures or top yeah. textures and it would be really cool if they were placed like logs uh sometimes i mean you, depending on the workstation you for example a lectern you have to be facing the right direction for the lectern to 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 be oriented in the direction because usually it faces you you know as if yeah. you were standing at the at the lectern um but if they did that for all of the all of the the profession blocks I, I know that it wouldn't necessarily make sense to be able to place a lectern 
sideways, like horizontally, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but there are some things like the, the bottoms of, of barrels, the, bo- well, and barrels actually work in this way. So this is a good example. I'd love to be able to do that with like cartography tables or smithing tables. Like they have unique tops and unique bottoms that would be awesome as wall textures, but we can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and so I find that a little bit, a little bit tricky. And same when like, um, I think it's the cartography table. It has like two blank sides. And the other sides have like compasses and like a globe and like there's some overlapping texture to the function of the table. But some of them are just flat vertical planks. I'm just like, I would love a vertical plank texture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Um, But if you can't get it to face the right direction, you basically have to build your building and then consider this one feature. And you're going to use this one block in this one way to get it to work right. And so, I, I mean, I guess that adds a little bit of a you know, inside baseball to, to your builds. But it's like, it would be really nice to have that kind of control. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting argument. And I think it probably falls back under the idea of, you know, a certain amount of limitations also allowing for creativity to prosper in other areas. You know, the, the sort of, you know, the, the limitations breed creativity argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I wonder if there's maybe a little bit of difficulty programming that kind of stuff as well. I'm not, I'm not certain. Um, I would really like to go back to the copper pipes idea for this one, though, because we've already got lightning rods, uh, as as uh, Torda mentioned, being a uh, a horizontally placed block. But again, much like end rods, I think just following the format of end rods and that kind of stuff in particular, they are fairly slim. You know, they are less than the the diameter of a fence post in terms of pixels, I think. And so it seems like they're only allowing for horizontal placement of stuff which is that small to prevent any kind of idea that it connects to anything else in the environment um and i wonder if maybe yeah if we had something that was a little bit thicker then maybe it could be used in a variety of different ways and i think copper pipes that were the width of uh, a fence post or a wall around could look really aesthetically interesting and yeah, we've talked before about functionality that they could have as well. So I kind of, I'm, I'm still crossing my fingers that further down the line, even if not with this update, maybe with a future update to technology, if, if they int- introduce, you know, pneumatics or something like that to Minecraft in future, something that feels a little bit more steampunk, then uh, potentially we could see copper pipes doing something like this. Well, and especially if you could layer things together, like if the copper pipes were either bigger or smaller than... A, a a wall or a fence post that would be you know um also be able to be positioned horizontally then in addition to like pipe work you could also use it for like i don't know lasers on a starship or like you could do all kinds of really cool pointy things you know like with the going from a block to a pipe to a fence to an end rod or something if, if horizontal was something that was possible in that way you could end up creating some of the shapes that that are really like you mentioned earlier only vertical right now yeah, uh, that that's speaking of lasers on a starship. That's the one disappointing thing. Whenever you want to render any kind of like space battle thing, if you want to do um, the logical geek boy thing, for example, of, of building like a Star Wars style diorama in the end the problem you run into is that you can't place glass panes horizontally so you can't create like blasters or anything like that especially not of different colors again you can you can maybe do that with end rods and have them all look like the same color but when you really want to determine like okay the bad guys are the ones shooting the red lasers it becomes a little bit more difficult at that stage I wonder if that could be uh, an RTX texture pack, you know, like N-Rods are red, uh, uh, copper um, 
uh, lightning and, uh, copper, lightning, lightning rods are green. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you could, you could really be specific about it, and that would look really cool in in RTX. I would imagine. Yeah, like like a lot of things, it, it it could it could benefit from a texture pack, and you just lose its functionality elsewhere. Like there's a couple of really neat uh, things I found about the the Kelly's RTX texture pack, and that has a bunch of features which are tied into the Education Edition of minecraft which the, the features of which i haven't enabled for the world that i'm using but if you do you get a bunch you get access to a bunch of other experimental blocks that are meant for education edition applications but they are replaced in that texture pack with light sources of different colors um so yeah there, there is potential for cool stuff to be done with that in in future but once again you're sacrificing what it looks like in regular minecraft if you wanted to use that and personally i think copper blocks and and anything that's like metallic and has the opportunity to be reflective is going to be just as interesting if not more interesting than having a couple more glowy objects in the game moving on to our next email from the blockhead subject line is axolotls and grass layers Hello there, my blocky friends. In a recent episode, you two were speaking about axolotls, and one of you said something along the lines of, it's good that they are not ignoring the ocean after the update aquatic. I immediately thought, it's not an ocean animal. They spawn in lush caves, and the tropical fish is just temporary. Intra uh, they, this introduced a number of thoughts. One, I wonder what they will eat. Do you have any thoughts? They could maybe eat drip leaf, or maybe the glowberries, but on the other hand, players will want to use those. They might add another block for them to eat or let the fish spawn in caves. Two, thinking of lush caves made me think of the grass layer you were discussing a little while ago. You wanted to have a nice lush color, but also thought it might be immersion breaking if that color was in, say, a desert. I had the idea that maybe they could have the lush color within five blocks of water, but fade to the biome color outside of that. Thoughts? The world outside may be infinite, but why can't the underground be better? Keep those chunks loaded, the blockhead. Right. Uh, I'm going to push back on the opening remarks here because I feel like uh, the blockhead is maybe poking at us a little bit and I feel like poking back. Um, I think it's true the axolotl is meant to spawn in lush caves, so it isn't inherently a, an ocean biome feature. However, I, feel, I would argue that the intended use of the axolotl, or at least most of its current functionality, is to be taken to ocean biomes to assist you in fighting other aquatic mobs, right? Like a lot, much has been made of them being the wolves of the water, being able to go and raid ocean monuments with you and attack guardians or use to farm squids or stuff like that. And right now we don't know much about the ecosystem of a lush cave beyond what they've shown us at Minecraft Live, but I don't see them having much use to the player in their natural habitat. I feel like a lot of the the functionality of axolotls has to do with ocean life in general. So maybe that's that's a little bit more of my focus when I'm saying they are an improvement to oceans. Not that they're going to spawn there, but that they interact with everything there. And if we're going to push our nerdy glasses up, axolotls live exclusively in swampy remnants uh, in Mexico. So mm -hmm. they're, a, they're a technically a freshwater uh, creature. Because they're, yeah. I think they're pretty close to salamanders from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're not going to find them. So basically, they would die if they swam in an ocean. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I think that Minecraft is maybe taking a little bit of, of liberty here. Um, however, uh, to to the Blockhead's point about what they would eat, uh, I had actually forgot that the fish were temporary. Um, I didn't... I don't know if they ate fish or they just attacked fish from my little... I only spent like a few minutes in creative with axolotls. Um, I like the idea of axolotls eating glowberries, though. 
um, because axolotls are special and glowberries are special. And oh my gosh, could we get a glowing axolotl? That would be <laughs> cool. Like if that was a thing, um, that would be hilarious. Uh, but on a serious note, I think that also adds like a sacrifice to be made by the player. Or if there's a way to farm glowberries, a farm that has to be made so that you can readily supply your axolotls with berries so that you can have some for you, but then also have some for, for the axolotls to eat. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that, something that's not just a fish that you can find everywhere, you know, not something that you can just use your fishing rod to get, but something that you have to then cultivate in order to feed at the ready, similar to how you have to do wheat, you know, to, to feed cows, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of images of the lush caves that were shared at Minecraft Live, and they do seem to have multiple bunches of glowberries per vine. Uh, looking at one of the screenshots here, there are at least three on a, a vine that's maybe seven or eight blocks tall. So it looks like you should be able to gather multiple of them. It is not entirely... Uh, apparent how they grow yet if they're going to be like crops where they would just naturally sprout from these things over time or if the vine would just generate them as it grew downwards and then that would be it so potentially there's going to be interesting ways of farming them and they would at least be renewable as a food provided you could replant them so i don't see them necessarily being too hard to get if you wanted to uh to to use them to breed axolotls um and you'd still be able to stockpile enough of them to use as a player Especially if you can hit them with a piece of bone meal, like you can a warped vine or a, yeah, or a yeah, totally. twisted vine and just like quadruple the length of it. I mean, I don't think it's that broken anymore, but like it's, you still get a lot more than one block of growth per hit from a bone meal uh, situation in, in the nether. So if they, if they do, if they function similar to that, uh, then, then that would be cool. And that would be consistent as well. Uh, an easy way to, to farm them. Uh, what do you think about the, the lush grass color, like the, the mossy layers that we saw? See, I've been thinking this over and I think I've had a change of heart. Like, personally, I kind of want the moss to stay the same color regardless of biome now. Uh, because of the opportunities that affords you for terraforming stuff. Like, thinking of the biomes that people prefer not to build in, like savannas and deserts, simply because the grass color is a lot to handle. It's, it's usually the kind of muddy brownish green that you tend to get. In, in those hotter biomes, mesas as well are another example. And I think it'd be it'd open up more creative options to the player if you could terraform an entire desert biome into something that was a little bit more lush and green. And from what we've seen, grass is still able to grow on it. And so effectively, you'd be taking the grass color from one biome and applying it to another biome without that biome blend effect happening. Um, personally, I think think that i would like that more than having one that changes color per per biome now um and making it more realistic by applying biome color might work better for immersion but reduces its potential for building there's already precedent for stuff like that happening with spruce and birch leaves not changing color per biome so yeah I, i'm still on the fence but i think i'm leaning a little bit more towards keeping moss like the color that it is in lush caves everywhere you put it what do you think i'm with you there i think it would end up being frustrating to to try and com like combine it if it was you know gonna be mo like a ugly moss color which i mean in some cases might look good like you might want that in like say a mega taiga biome right yeah um but but because what i use i end up using like um green concrete powder an awful lot to kind of simulate moss it looks good next to the revised uh, mossy cobble now because the mossy cobble isn't like a weird forest green it's got more of like a moss green to it 
Yeah. And so you can kind of make it look like there's moss kind of growing into things and growing over things. And it just looks like a different color of grass, you know, kind of like, I don't know what it would be. It's not necessarily moss, but there's like a different kind of grass that you get kind of in, in different forests that that's like more like plants and leafy and just kind of vegetation as opposed to like actual like plains grass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it, it's the, the question of, of our biomes going to be separated on the y-axis now vertically yeah. yeah yeah so like if you're in an arid desert can you go down and find what is essentially a different biome in that you've entered a lush cave biome or i mean insert the magical elusive never been mentioned totally a pipe dream for me the ice cave biome which is <laughs> going to make no sense if you go down and, and you see one under a desert at the same time We've got phantoms and Endermen running around. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be yeah. you know, yeah. super Fantasy realistic. Fantasy landscape again. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that kind of stuff could be really cool. Um, the frustrating part that I would find is that if it doesn't change color, then if you wanted to use those kind of gra- moss layers or or ability to build in that way in a desert or in a savanna, and it was a bright lush green, it's not going to match anything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. The suggestion that that block had made about um, using water to hydrate it—that's also not a turn on for me. I don't use coral basically because it's such a pain in the butt to have water present. Like you have to have hollow walls and like water flowing down them in order to use these blocks, other than in the water. Yeah. And so I, I don't build with it very often because of that that reason. And and I'd love to have i want more flexibility not necessarily i mean having little pockets of water in my builds not not a fan yeah i i think it also introduces a few technical issues and the the fading biome colors between rivers and deserts are not tied to the presence of water it's the biome itself right so if you Mm -hmm. removed all of the water from a river running through a desert you would still have the same grass color in the river because it's tied to the biome whereas i think if you are um you know, if if you're using water and you're having the moss blocks sense the presence of water and change color or change state based on whether or not there is water around, you're introducing block updates, which later leads to lag implications, right? So say, for example, somebody was to set up a machine that dispenses and then retracts a bucket of water around a bunch of moss blocks just generating block updates constantly, <laughs> that tends to introduce lag problems. Um and so, yeah, maybe there are some some neat ways that could be coded around, and maybe if it's an aesthetic thing like biome color, then it can be can be done a little differently. But yeah, I I still think the the problem there becomes having the blocks so intrinsically tied to that mechanic, and then not having that same mechanic apply in lush caves where presumably the moss would grow away from watery sections and from what we've seen there is water abundantly there but it's not going to be everywhere so what happens to the moss then uh it it creates i think more questions than it answers (laughs) in that case and yeah it it might seem like a an interesting prospect in principle but i think it's a lot simpler and if anything just more effective more reliable to go with something that seems uh more straightforward like keeping moss the same color everywhere i would agree 
Let's move on to Rodomify's email, uh, which is generating your own structures. Hello, Johnny and Joel. Recently, I've been going back through some of the episodes I recently listened to, your episode with Gemini Tay. Uh, when she was talking about needing to learn more about structure blocks, it reminded me about how in lots of snapshot videos, people have used structure blocks to generate pre-existing structures in the game's code. When I went to go and test things out with structure blocks, I realized you're able to save structures to the same file that the in-game ones use. When I realized this, to make sure that it worked the way I thought it did, I saved my own structure file for the entrance to a woodland mansion. And sure enough, when I used the locate commands to go to a newly generated woodland mansion, it generated with the entrance I had saved instead of the usual one. It's kind of like overwriting the structure, because the game will check to see if that structure is in the structures folder of the world before it checks the game files. I wonder what people would be able to do with this, considering that you can move the structure files between worlds. I personally have started using this to make it look as though Plains Villages are from the Nether. Rodomify left the game great sign off <laughs> very good very good yeah so uh structure blocks i feel like are one of those things like the uh, there are newer things like jigsaw blocks that were in addition to this that are very much a behind the scenes player and almost feel like outside of map makers sorry they're a behind the scenes feature uh they they, they seem to be more almost like for the developers themselves to use rather than for players to use, especially in the context that Joel and I play where we're mostly survival players, right? We don't tend to interact with stuff like this nearly at all. But I think the fact that the functionality exists at all is pretty exciting. And there is, if not necessarily modifying Minecraft's existing structures, there is precedent for you creating your own structures folder and seeding custom structures throughout the world yourself. And that's where it really starts to get interesting for me. It's not necessarily just overwriting Minecraft's existing structures, although it sounds like you've used that for a very creative application, making Plains Villages a bit more sinister, uh, like they're from the Nether. But I think it really comes down to wanting to seed custom structures. And people have written to me in the past when I used to do a one chunk build series where I would publish a structure file uh, of, you know, the one chunk castle or medieval house or, you know, inn or something like that that I had built. People have written to me asking if they can use that in their own custom maps because they know enough about structure blocks to be able to randomize those structures appearing throughout the world. That's really cool. I had no idea this was possible although obviously a light bulb went off when i saw it because like when i was playing all of fabric 3 uh i had content in that pack that changed the temples and different you know existing structures in the game i believe added other ones but also kind of like took the desert temples and said okay it's not like this one thing that you see everywhere now it's a much larger it's almost the size of a village and it's it was way more complex and cool to explore and uh it, like I haven't gone that, down that particular rabbit hole because like I would lose hours redesigning stuff in, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a very fun, fun way. Um, and I don't know, and this could be a question for the community, like would you need a mod to add variants or would that be something that you could technically do with a data pack? Because if you could do it with a data pack and have say like three different versions of a desert temple that you just decided to improve a little bit, you know, keep it, you know, an homage to the original, but maybe make a few other different ones. So that's not the same one every time you find one. Um, that could be really cool uh, because I think we have that kind of experience now with, they're slightly different. 
um, but mostly the same in the ruined nether portals that you see around the world now. Um, they generate in different ways. Same with shipwrecks, that yeah. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now I, I, I have a feeling that unless Minecraft is already programmed to randomize that into in the instance of desert temples where there's only one version of the structure right now, I'm not sure if it could call from a randomized list, but you might be able to create a system that seeds additional desert temples throughout the map on top of the ones that already generate or maybe ignores generation of those ones to replace them with a different one so it wouldn't necessarily be minecraft itself doing it but you might be able to add on top of what minecraft already does potentially um but yeah if, if you're a, a community member who has experience with this stuff write in and let us know it'd be really interesting to hear the episode of the Spawn Chunks that they were referring to, by the way, is episode 77, A Creative Conversation with Gemini Tay. That's from February 24th, 2020. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think we should all learn a little bit more about structure blocks. I think that's that's probably a uh, a, a good a good goal for this year is to, to try and seek out new things like that and, and mess around with them a little bit more. I'm sure I will get into them when I start getting into a lot of custom trees. I've been kind of avoiding that. Um, I've been leaving natural trees where they are in the medieval world, but something that was uh, done on Vastin, I believe using structure blocks, but it, I could be wrong. They could also have been using like a little mod or something, but um, fix it if, you, if you're listening and you, you remember, let me know. Um, but they would, um, the lore in the world, because it was a survival world, but they kind of wanted to speed up the process of doing custom trees was that they had this druid um arbor area where the druids quote unquote would grow these magical trees and once the magical tree was grown or built by hand by a player then the power and the magic of the druids could then plant that tree anywhere in the world so you as a player would have to build one custom tree and then go copy it and then you could paste it wherever you wanted in your current builds and so as that arbor of trees grew with different people building different trees you had basically had like a library of tree stamps um, but it was built into the lore of the world that that's how they did it. But they use, I think they use structure blocks to, to move stuff around. Yeah, it's it's either structure blocks or I think world edit and, and stuff like that will have a pretty easy copy-paste function that might have yeah. existed before structure blocks. So some players might be more used to it. But yeah, there are there are certainly options for stuff like that. And I think it's it's fun to look into customizing Minecraft if you feel like the game is getting a little long in the tooth for you. Uh, so folks who are interested in messing around with structure blocks and don't not getting too precious about the way things currently generate in Minecraft, maybe uh, follow Rodomify's example and give this a try yourself. The last email comes in from Ross B. Subject is switching off the mobs. Hey, Joel and Pix, I'm curious if either of you have looked into mob switches. I don't see many people talking about them outside of really technical circles, but they're pretty easy to make if you're using zombie villagers. They solve a lot of problems dealing with PvE when working on a mega build, and as much as we talk about changes to spawning to prevent torch spam, they are uh, already a solution. I was recently doing work in the nether and fed up with the constant barrage of gas blasts, decided to make a nether mob switch, and it's been a total game changer. I didn't need shulker boxes full of fire resistance to slab another fortress, and I could raid a bastion without having to worry about additional mobs. Brutes are still there, and they're independent of the mob cap, all while still playing on hard difficulty. So I encourage you to look into it. A mob switch may not make as much sense on a server, but in a single player world, it is a must have. Thanks, master of mobs. <laughs> you can you can definitely call yourself that once you've made a mob switch, I think. And being able to 
effectively turn on and off hostile spawning in the rest of the world is a pretty powerful tool, I would say. I think uh, the reason people don't really think of mob switches as a solution is that they, as you as you pointed out, they they don't necessarily make as much sense on servers. It's the kind of thing where multiplayer communities will argue one way or the other about why it should be there or not there <laughs> because a lot of people like the java game for the occasional obstacles it throws in your way um i haven't looked into mob switches much because i got to the point in the end game of the survival guide world where i realized okay this world is probably going to be finite and it might be something i look into in the next season of the world um so when 117 comes out and I reset, then maybe I'll consider looking into them further down the line. I am intrigued by the concept, and speaking as somebody who does like to just get my head down and build a lot of the time, and maybe do time lapses unimpeded by hostile mobs coming to try and blow me up, I think it 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 works quite well. I I definitely like the idea of not needing to mess around too much with with hostile mobs when you're slabbing a Nether fortress. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's it's one of those things that there should really be. I mean, I say should kind of loosely here because who am I to say? But I, I think further down the line, it would be a lot nicer to have a more reliable intended in-game way of doing it instead of having to exploit technical aspects of the game. Something that's more intuitive to the average player compared to something that, you know, has to be reasoned out by the technical community in order to to function and ultimately i think something that is going to allow you to limit mob spawning in certain areas but not others is a solution that's going to work better for everybody as far as i'm concerned yeah i, I would agree with that too i mean I, I always fall back to like you know for a, the sake of a simple example adding the ability to have mob spawns not happen in a certain radius of a beacon by adding another beacon feature that you could then turn on or off or whatever. Um, I, I Like that kind of thing works so much better in a multiplayer server because that's why we don't really mess with it much on the Citadel is because a lot of the stuff that I was working on when I started playing on the Citadel was very technical and usually there were mob farms or some sort of farm that um, would be then community-based. And if not only would they, you know, a, a mob switch uh, be messing with either what I'm doing or what somebody else is doing, it may also then affect a farm that other people multiple people are relying on for say gunpowder you yeah. know mm -hmm. uh and so we've not bothered with that now in the nether i have enough people on the server that loathe the nether so <laughs> i feel like that would be an easier argument um but then again we also have farms like uh, uh um, wither skeleton farms and they would fall under the same mob cap uh, and so if you removed all the mobs, then your farm that you took hours and hours and hours to build is going to be rendered basically useless, uh, for the duration, I guess, that that mob switch is on. The question that I have is like, if you had a mob switch that was on a timer, uh, or the, had the ability to be turned off and on easily, I don't know how long it takes for these things to affect the world. Um, cause that could be cool. Like you said, if they're easy to build, um, it would be neat to implement to build a very complicated farm like the Crossroads uh, Wither Skeleton farm that I have. But if you could then turn it off again, I'm wondering if like once you're at the farm, if you turn on the mob switch, that would then remove all the mobs from the area. And then if you turn it back on, if you're in a spot where 
you've already slabbed the surrounding area, that would mean that there would be zero other mobs spawning and you wouldn't want to have to wait for anything to despawn before your farm would just start cranking out stuff, right? Very technical. So like to the opposite of your point, Pixel Rips. But I feel like um, there could be a time and place for them depending on how technical you get. But I don't think many people know about them outside of like the people that listen to this podcast. Like those kind of um, Minecraft players that have this level of knowledge and this level of kind of culture steep in the game are aware of them at least if not they've tried them or watched one being built uh just from like you know different servers like sidecraft or whatever but I, to your point about the the accessibility of them you need to make them a little bit more that feature a little bit more obvious to players in a different way and 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 there could be a very you know minecraft way to do it and you know insert our comments about striders you know like th there could be a very interesting unique solution that we just haven't thought of yet yeah, what, I, what I'm imagining is something like a conduit-type object, you know, something that, that's a more end-game kind of thing, takes a little bit of grind to get hold of. And when you install it somewhere, if you're on a multiplayer server, it requires input from as many people who are online or a certain proportion of the people who are online in order to activate it. So you'd effectively have to vote to switch on this mob switch, basically. And... I like the idea of that because for a start you're seeing stuff like that happen already with game rules being configurable so that players can now have like a single player sleep on a server by setting a game rule. So you could decide in the game rules there could be a default value that would be like every player has to right click on this object and confirm before mob switch turns off mob spawning for the entire server. And then you could configure that to whatever proportion of players you felt like, you know, two thirds, one half, whatever. And mm -hmm. then in a single player setting, you would be able to switch it on or off yourself and not bother anybody because you would be 100% of the players that was online at the time. And and maybe there is room for something like that. But again, I think the main thing is making sure it isn't exploited by players. And so that's maybe where effectively like a voting system to activate this kind of contraption might come in i just don't know how you would implement that and again it's it's one solution of many potential solutions i think all of which end up with their with their drawbacks and and not to throw any shade at, at master of mobs here but like using it to turn off the mobs and then go and raid a bastion would be outside of the way that i would want to play survival <laughs> yeah right? a little bit like just yeah like not play the game the way that you want i'm not judging i'm just saying that for me I would want to turn it back on before I did that kind of thing. In my experience, one of the things I wanted to do with Bastions was give one a bit of an internal makeover and start to like redesign the interior of a Bastion. And for that, it'd be great to not have piglins running around everywhere. Uh, brutes aside, because you'd probably deal with them before you started a project like that, it would be uh, a bit of a pain to you know, place the wrong block somewhere or accidentally hit a piglin when you're you know, in the middle of... Uh, placing a block or breaking something, you hit it with your pickaxe, and then, you know, the, the piglin that just randomly wanders across your path brings the entire army on you. Uh, I, I think it'd be kind of fun to be able to switch off natural piglin spawns just for that. Uh, but then, yeah, for the for the survival aspect for going to raid a bastion, obviously we encourage people to play Minecraft however they want, but I think part of the intended challenge of bastions is that there are piglins around every corner, you know? Yeah. Uh, another point uh, to your, um, I guess, comment about toggling certain features. 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can separate village raids from pillager outposts now as to like whether or not they exist. And there's raid patrols, and I can't remember the other thing, but you can turn those on and off separately, right? Yeah, there are game rules that um, yeah basically disable raids, but don't disable pillager spawns. Uh, right. So you'd still get the bad omen effect, but a raid wouldn't trigger if you walked into a village with it. Uh, obviously cuts off the opportunity to get hero of the village, uh, but I'm I'm fairly certain it, it's it's raids and I think maybe disabling pillager patrols are both configurable just because of the amount of chaos they would cause if somebody just had villagers at their base and a malicious player wandered in or even a completely innocent player wandered in and didn't realize they had bad omen at the time, didn't realize yeah. there was a group of villagers underground, that kind of thing. Well, we we turn them off on the server because of the frequency of them. Yeah. Like as soon for it's a server full of builders really you know there's some technical players but like most of it's just like people that want to chill out and build and just do not want to be interrupted constantly by these patrols coming over the hillsides especially as you expand your area of of you know um creativity into different biomes and you're starting to get you know spread out a little bit you know you start to encroach on the land and then they just start coming up a lot more and uh, I, we just found it to be a pain in the butt, so we just turned it off. And it's been so long that I, for, I even forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disable raids and do patrol spawning are the two game rules uh, for anybody who's interested. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that you can have a little bit of configuration over this stuff now. Uh, or at least Java players can. Again, not, not certain if those options are available for, for Bedrock. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where mob switches can be an advanced thing and it may be that mob switches existing as their own sort of obscure technique is a good thing because it's something that the the technical community has done that then hasn't just been invalidated in one fell swoop by changes the developers have made to the game i think it, it's nice that occasionally these technical challenges like iron farms and things like that exist because it gives the technical community something to get excited about and and ways to 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 work around new things but i think maybe in future as the game continues to expand maybe a uh, a more intuitive uh type of mob switch might be something that could work in in future um that's probably where we're going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks folks thank you so much for listening as always you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in by visiting patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community there gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when it is broadcast live to Discord, and it gets us closer to our next milestone goal, which is a monthly Minecraft audio hangout where we shoot the breeze with our in discord chat about what everyone's been doing in minecraft uh, we're currently at 218 patrons which is another increase from last week thanks to everybody new who has jumped on board lately and special thanks goes out to our growing list of content engineer patrons that's general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale paulbo baggins and yitz thank you for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen to it. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube, really wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, find the RSS link on thespawnchunks.com, and the Patreon-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast.
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where this week I'm taking a bit of a break, but I'll be back next week with more episodes of the Minecraft Survival Guide, Skyblock, and my Minecraft RTX series in Bedrock Edition. I'm also returning to streaming on Friday. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have the Clash of the Creators event on Friday, and then after that I'll be hosting the Minecraft Dungeons speedrunning community tournament. You can find that at twitch.tv slash Pixelriffs, where normally I'm doing behind-the-scenes work for my other series. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Outside of that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment is at thecitadelcafe.com. Looking forward to talking about, I believe, WandaVision coming up this week on the show. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm streaming Minecraft, building a medieval village, and Oxygen Not Included, and looking to maybe sort of, hopefully, finally, getting into Stardew Valley. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but maybe it's all a simulation.